Hey everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Snohomish County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com hb. Again, altitude-re.com hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! everybody. Welcome to Real Hawk Talk. I believe this is episode 36, if you can believe it. Uh, I'm Brian Emhauser, uh, at Hawk Blogger on Twitter. And <clears throat> we've got, excuse me as I'm choked up already, um, we've got Evan Hill back from his European adventure. Um, he is uh, at Evan on HB on Twitter. Welcome back, Evan. Thank you. How'd you guys live without me for a week? It was tough, dude. It, was <laughs> it wasn't really that tough. tough. I actually filled in as the resident optimist, and I gotta say, I did a fantastic job. Yeah, it was really shocking, Evan. It's <laughs> almost like he crawled into your being while you were gone. It was a little eerie. I, 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 I I'm gonna have to rewatch the podcast to believe it. To be honest, I have amazing range. Yeah, I, I have to take most of the credit in that I, I, I took such a staunch opposite position that I think Nathan felt compelled to be optimistic. It was great. He played right into it. Uh, and yes, that was Nathan, at uh, NathanE11 on Twitter, one of the best handles, um, destined to blow up. Um, welcome, Nathan. Always good to have you. Hi, thanks. <laughs> um, and Jeff Simmons um, will be joining us a little late tonight. He's got uh, some kind of Toronto, some Canadian thing happening. Who knows what it is? But uh, um, we got so much to cover tonight. It's, it's going to be a great show. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, the Minnesota game. There was a ton that went on in that game that was really interesting and uh, I think pretty encouraging um, for the most part. We'll talk about that. We're going to talk about some of the injury news that's going on there. Um, Doug Baldwin returned today. Interesting. Um, he has some comments about how healthy he is, and we'll talk about the implications of that. Uh, KJ Wright, also injury news there, um, and there's implications there, so we'll talk about that. But we're going to start off with um, what is becoming a, uh, a fun topic on Twitter, and um, we're going to kind of figure out how, how real this topic is, um, and that is... Khalil Mack, uh, Khalil Mack, the you know one of the best defensive players in football, um, plays for the Raiders, has in a contract holdout, and you know it's similar to the Aaron Donald situation in that the expectation is that he obviously will still play for the Raiders. They're not going to let someone of his talent go, um, but increasingly there's some questions getting out that maybe the Raiders actually would entertain. Um, trading Khalil Mack and are talking to a number of teams and that 
you know, a handful of teams have emerged as really interested and really willing to, to put some, uh, some capital out there. Uh, Joel Corey, a former agent, had tweeted this week that uh, a number of reasons why he believes that it is a real possibility that the Raiders could consider trading Khalil Mack. And then, with all of that, i um, giving you the uh, gunpowder. Um, people through a match. Um, something to the effect of, uh, you know, for all the 12s, day before the game. And his song of the day was the return of the Mac. And uh, everybody started wondering what that could mean. Um, and it started conversations about whether the Seahawks could be one of the suitors for Khalil Mack. So, Nathan, I'm going to start with you. Um, you know, what, first of all, what's your take on the rumor? Um, you know, do you give it any credibility whatsoever? Uh, and then I'd be interested in hearing, let's, let's, you know, if you don't believe it's true, what do you think that, what do you think would make that possible? Or what, what kind of, what kind of value do you think the Seahawks would have to give up in order for that to be, you know, a possible trade that the Seahawks would make and that the Raiders would take? I mean, I think that the trade, there is some like, it's feasible, right? It's plausible. Um, it makes some sense in that both teams have a disgruntled player. Um, they're both very good players. So you can kind of see maybe some, it's a fairly equal swap. Um, Seattle could use another pass rusher. You can always, you can never have enough pass rushers, but it just seems like with one player that's that big of a name and that big of a contract and, and, you know, going through a holdout and all, all that, it's hard enough to get something done, let alone with two players. So I think it's, probably real i would be surprised if the teams hadn't had conversations um but i doubt that they have really progressed in any kind of meaningful way so uh you know i think pete loves to do this stuff he loves to interact with the fans um but you know first and foremost pete is a troll uh <laughs> and so uh, i don't think that there's probably anything imminent happening based off of that tweet Evan, where where are you at? I, you're barely awake, I think. You're probably still in European time, which we're going to completely take advantage of you um, on this uh, this pod. But what is what is your take on on the plausibility, the feasibility of this trade? A while back, Pete said something that uh, I think it was either Peter John. I don't I don't remember who said it. It was something like we we love to pay. Uh, players who hit the quarterback, and he named a couple other positions. I think it was maybe cornerback, but um, that always resonated with me. And, you know, pass rushers are so, so valuable. And this is currently a position group on the Seahawks that is a little weak. And I think from a could this even really happen standpoint, I do think it could happen. Um, they have tons like, – like, guys, we're talking about the Seahawks here. We're talking about John Schneider. Josh Schneider has made some of the ballsiest trades, you know, in the past five, more ballsy trades in the past five years than maybe any other team in the NFL. Percy Harvin, Jimmy Graham, Sheldon Richardson. I mean, if a team is going to do it, it's the Seahawks. Um, I think, uh, I, so I think that, I think the chances are absolutely possible um, from a cap perspective. Uh, the Raiders are trying to exercise this fifth year option, which is 13 point, Eight million uh, fully up front. That's in a that's in a 
uh, base salary. That's not in a signing bonus or anything like that. So Seahawks would have to be able to fit that under the cap, which they can. They currently have 23.5 in space. So um, his 2018 base salary would slide really neatly under there. But it really comes down to, obviously, like trade compensation and if Earl Thomas is a part of this trade. Um, assuming Earl Thomas is a part of this trade, I, I would also assume that they would want like a first round pick or two, you know, I don't know what we could get back in return, but the price isn't going to be cheap for Khalil Mack. Yeah. Let me, let me build the case here for a second for, for feasibility, for plausibility for this. So, uh, one, you mentioned it, you've got two star players that are among the best at their position, um, on either team that are holding out and looking for new contracts and potentially, maybe getting them somewhere else. So that's Earl Thomas and, and Khalil Mack. Um, you also, on the Seahawks, you have a guy in Frank Clark, who is a young pass rusher, who is looking to make his next contract and is going to cost a lot of money to, to re-sign. Um, interestingly, Frank Clark has had 19 sacks over the past couple of years. Uh, Khalil Mack's had 21 and a half. So they're not quite as far apart as you might think in terms of the sack production. That's only one part of pass pressure, and Cleo Mack is clearly the superior player, but that's another piece that could enter into play. We've got John Schneider, who's a GM, who has made trades for Sheldon Richardson last year and Dwayne Brown last year and um, has you know, shown a proclivity to make these deals. He's a willing participant in these deals. You've got Reggie McKenzie, who is the GM for the Raiders, who is a close friend of John Schneider and who um, has been a trade partner for with the Seahawks in the past. Um, all of those things make this um, plausible to me. I think the cap space that you also talked about um, make it interesting. You know, I think a trade of, of Frank Clark and Earl Thomas in exchange for Khalil Mack and probably some lower round draft compensation, like a fifth. Um, I think would make some sense for both sides. I think that in, in a situation like that, Cleo Mack would upgrade the pass rush the Seahawks have over Frank Clark, uh, even though you're, you're subtracting something there. Um, and they get a, a draft pick that they could invest you know, in the future for, for the team. Um, and the Raiders are getting arguably the best safety in the game or one of the top couple um, and an up-and-coming pass rusher. Um, so, so they're really um, you know, in a situation where they get someone strong uh, I think it's an interesting possibility. Um, <laughs> I, it's hard for me not to make jokes about how Jermaine Effetti could get involved here, um, <laughs> knowing Tom Cable's uh, <laughs> down there in, in uh, Oakland. But um, anyway, uh, outside of that, I think there's some, some interesting possibilities. How would you guys feel about a Frank Clark and Earl Thomas combination? I see Nathan shaking his head. I think I would hate that. Yeah, <laughs> why? You know, I don't, I mean, I get it, like, Climax great and all, but why do that? Why let these, you're going to let these two guys walk, basically, and you're going to get rid of these two guys and throw in a draft pick to get one guy. I don't know. I feel like this is the thing that's led them kind of to where they are right now like if you can work up something around like earl and you know maybe a third or something like that okay we can that's that's fine um but earl and then a young player like clark and then a pick it's just it gets to be a lot when you could you know i, I think that they could get a third for earl um 
and you know pay Clark for something less than what Mac will ultimately get, and then you know keep that other pick. I I don't know. It just doesn't. It, it feels like the kind of splashy thing that's gotten them in trouble. It, and it's a little scary coming off the Richardson trade where they just traded a guy for a guy that had one year left on his deal and then didn't get a deal done and he watched for nothing. So you're kind of putting yourself in that same situation with Mac. Uh, it seems like a lot. It is. And, and let me be clear. What I was proposing would be a Frank Clark and Earl Thomas in exchange for Khalil Mack and a draft pick from the Raiders back to the Seahawks. Not that that's a huge difference in what you were saying, but just that, just to be clear. That makes more sense. But still, I, I don't know why. I mean, I guess you get to, you're going to let, you're probably not going to have Earl anyways. You're going to let Earl walk and then you can upgrade on Clark who you have to pay anyways and get Khalil Mack and maybe a pick. That that makes, makes sense. sense. I don't know. Doesn't it? It, it does. I still don't know if I wouldn't just rather have see what you could get for trading Earl, but that's kind of unknowable. So that's not a terrible deal. I don't know. Yeah, well, I think that, that the challenge there, and Evan, I'm curious your thoughts here, is I mean, Khalil Mack's going to want, I mean, everyone's saying Aaron Donald's about to get a $20 million deal or something along those lines, and that that's going to be the baseline for where Khalil Mack's negotiation is going to start. And so you're now talking about a, a non-quarterback, $20 million player on your cap, and I get that. I have some questions about that myself, for sure. But if you're getting a what is legitimately a top three defensive player in the league, um, and you're trading away guys like Earl Thomas and Frank Clark, who combined are going to make a lot more than $20 million against the cap, I would think, um, maybe it works out. Maybe it's worth it. What do you think? I think my concern, my only concern with adding Frank Clark to that equation is I feel like the defensive line is a group we really need to be bolstering from a depth perspective too. Um, you know, if you send Frank Clark in a, in a trade to the Raiders and, and you replace him with Khalil Mack, you know, the, of course Khalil Mack is amazing and great, but then who's behind Khalil Mack? It's it, to me, it's, I'm, I'm not sure it'd be worth it to ship Frank and Earl for that pick in Khalil. I, I just, I, Frank is a young stud and, and I, I, I'd really have a hard time parting with him. Um, I love combining him with Khalil, but I, but I get, I, I, I understand what you're saying though, from like a, like a trade compensation perspective that the Seahawks probably don't want to give up uh, many, many draft picks. Frank Clark could definitely diminish that side of things, but I, I'd, I'd, I'd still have depth concerns if, if we were willing to ship Frank. Um, I'd prefer not to ship Frank. So uh, Jeff, you've joined and, and we're talking about uh, the Khalil Mack rumors and what we think might make some sense if that actually becomes a real possibility. Frank Clark's part of the conversation here and I think everyone's a little bit trepidatious about potentially having him uh, go the other way. I'm curious how confident you are and, and the other guys are in Frank Clark. You know, this is the first year he's going to be kind of the lone pass rusher. He's not going to be able to build off of um, some of the other guys like Bennett and Averill and those guys. He's had some injury challenges at times. Like, is this the guy that you do want to invest in from a pass rush perspective? Or, you know, if you do keep him, do you feel confident in, in spending 
$15 million a year on him or whatever it's going to cost. Well, this, this year's the, t I think that's why there haven't really been talks right now because this year's sort of the test case for him because yeah, you mentioned it. Cliff Averill, Michael Bennett, Sheldon Richardson. Those are the guys who are drawing double teams. Frank Clark, Frank Clark from just a talent perspective has that kind of talent. He's got the speed. He's got the power. He's got the, he's getting better from a technical hand usage bull rush standpoint, but he's never been that one, a guy He was. We've never seen him where he doesn't have those guys. And who's the second pass rusher on this team? Deion Jordan? Or so it's hard for me to say they should invest 15 million in him without seeing it. And I think that's it's kind of that wait and see type thing. And I think that's where the Seahawks are going with it. For me, just Khalil Max at a totally different level than Clark. Even I don't think Clark could even come close to that level. He's just a Mac, I've watched him over the years. My brother's a Raiders fan, so I've I've watched pretty much all of their games. When I did used to live with my brother, and he's just a game record, like a one man game record. I don't know if the Seahawks ever have had a guy like that. Maybe Cortez Kennedy in his prime, but just yeah, Evan mentioned the depth issue. That would still be there. But man, if you can get Khalil Mack, who's one of the three or five best players in the league, it's hard not to get excited about a possibility of that. Yeah, do, do, do any of you guys fear that? You could have a Sheldon Richardson situation, not in what Nathan was describing, in that you got him for one year and he walked. I don't think that's a real possibility in this case. But what about Sheldon Richardson and that he came and he wasn't maybe as impactful as you had hoped for? Um, I know there's some arguments there about you know some of the more advanced stats about how he was there, but he ended up from a pass rush perspective or from a sack perspective. Um, I think he had one sack, two sacks, something like that. Um, do you feel like there's any risk that Khalil Mack wouldn't be as productive in Seattle as he is in Oakland? A little, just because he's more of a rushbacker than a true defensive end. Um, and you could kind of get into a situation like they had with Jimmy Graham where um, Mack could still be very good at the things that he's very good at. But when you're asking him to be do the more traditional 4-3 defensive end type stuff and be stout against the run and stuff like that. Not that Max bad at that, but I, I don't know that he's quite as stout and they value their run defense. Um, and so, you know, this is a team that had Bruce Irvin, right? And they had him as a defensive end and then didn't really like him there and then moved him away. Um, so I, I, a little, not, not, a, not a big deal, but you could kind of see where there might be some of that. Wait, I, I want to get this on record, Nathan. Did you just admit that the Seahawks didn't use Jimmy Graham to his full potential? Oh, of course. Really? <laughs> he was extremely good. They didn't use him, right? They didn't use him very well all the time, asking him to block all the time. I mean, that wasn't great. Extremely is quite the adjective there. All right, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, Jimmy Graham. Uh, how many? He set some uh, tight end records here. He caught double digit touchdowns. I would say he was extremely good. You guys and your Jimmy Graham obsession. We're gonna move on. 88, 88 as far as I'm concerned, is Will Disley, and will it forever be Will Disley? So, um, did you well, mention? Did anyone mention that Ken Norton was Max defensive coordinator in Oakland? We I'm did sure not mention that. And that's, that's another connection there, right? Um, so I'm sure it's the same scheme he's been playing. Yeah, it, sh it, should, it should be similar. Um, the big thing with Sheldon, he had to adjust completely to a new scheme where he was a 3-4 end, yeah. and he was, he was a 4-3 interior rusher. 
And it took him, he said, half the season just to figure out what to, how to play. And I, I don't feel like that would be an issue with Mac, right? Well, no, it shouldn't. And let's can we flip it around for a second? I'm curious if put on, pretend you're a Raiders fan. Um, and I know that's even harder for those of us that were Seahawks fans before they were in the NFC and uh, uh, were actually rivals with the Raiders. But let's pretend you're a Raiders fan for a second. Would you take Earl Thomas and Frank Clark in exchange for Cleo Mack? Do you think that that makes you a better team? It's kind of the same thing with, like, it's you don't have to put yourself in the other perspective that much because it's kind of the same thing, right? Like, are Earl Thomas and Frank Clark together better than Khalil Mack? Like, I think Seahawks fans could realistically argue that. Um, but we're probably not going to have Earl. <laughs> I mean, that's the key difference. That's the key difference. The Raiders can ask that question. The Seahawks can't because Earl Thomas isn't coming back. Like, I guess the Raiders part have, of the yeah. They, the Raiders have more certainty in their ability to get Khalil Mack back at some point, probably. But it's kind of the same thing. Like, both teams are looking at these guys holding out. And so, you know, is... Uh, I don't know. I think if I was a Raiders fan and I had to send the pick out too, I'd be pretty pissed. Um, but uh, as a Seahawks fan, if they have to send a pick out and Earl and Clark, then I'd be pretty pissed. So this is the thing. Like, when you get to the, with guys these these big and, 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 you know, these, you know, all pro type players, it's hard to feel good about the trades, no matter what side you're on when you're sending one of them away. Yeah. I'd, I'd make the argument that the Raiders defense would be better with Earl Thomas and Frank Clark than it would be with just Khalil Mack. Um, I do believe that's the case. Um, I believe that the Seahawks defense would be better with Khalil Mack than with Frank Clark, and they're not going to have Earl Thomas, so he's not part of that picture. So, <clears throat> you know, not to be a dead horse here, but I do think it makes both teams better than they would have been otherwise. Um, and if anything, if you're a Raiders fan, the real question is, you know, how long is Earl going to play for? If, if Earl's going to play another three years and at, at high level, then I think it's... I don't know if I'd call it a steal because you're giving up someone who's really good, but um, you know there's a potential for that to really be a key part of how the Raiders build out what's been a pretty flawed defense. I don't know. If you're the Raiders, you're trading a fantastic player for two guys on the last year of the contract. One of them's about to turn 30. Um, they both want to get paid. Uh, but there's still questions like we're talking about with Clark. Like, are we absolutely positively sure that they're going to pay him or are, are they doing a wait and see thing? So, and then he's got this injury. So you, the Raiders could just as easily be in the Sheldon Richardson situation as the Seahawks could like, yeah, if everything goes well and they sign them both and Earl stays healthy and plays for a while, like maybe the Raiders would be, have a better defense with those two. But like, that feels like a big risk from their perspective too. Yeah. Yeah, there's a little bit of the fantasy football rule in play there, which is, you know, you never trade a good player for two, in, you know, inferior players. Like, that, that is the most common trade request you get is someone trying to package two, three, four players to get one good one. And if you end up with, you know, two, three, four players that aren't as good as the guy that you got rid of, then you're generally downgrading your team. That's fantasy football. Um, I'll stand by what I said. I do think that the Raiders' defense would be better with this trade. But 
all likelihood, you know, by far the most likely situation is that Cleo Max is exactly where he is, um, and the Raiders pay him. Um, but I think there's there's a lot of reason to think that the Seahawks absolutely have reached out to the Raiders to talk about Mac. There's too many reasons why um, that, that that they wouldn't. Um, and I think there's a reason to potentially believe that that there's more than just light talk that the Seahawks have probably put together some offers and some thoughts there and um, just up to, to see whether any of those are interesting enough for the Raiders to, to keep talking. So um, let's, let's move on and, and talk a bit of a game. Um, There's a lot that happened in that game. And uh, I thought that there was some pretty encouraging signs, but let's just get off the cuff takeaways. Um, you know, uh, Jeff, what was what were your kind of top two or three takeaways from that Minnesota game? I was surprised with how fast and physical the Seahawks looked just compared to the last two games. And simply they looked faster and they out hit the Vikings, who are top to bottom, I think, the best team in the NFL. And I was the first team offense to me was the big standout and how they went. Pretty much once they after that first three and out, they had great success against Again, probably the best defensive unit. And just the fact that the O-line held up so well against that front four. I know they didn't have Everson Griffin, but the fact that like Peter King was at that game and came away thinking the Seahawks could be pretty good and that led his Monday morning column. It was hard not to watch that team. I, I know there's a lot to me there was a lot of issues defensively, but not to think that this team's gonna be fun to watch. And that was my takeaway. Like even if they're not great defensively. There's a lot to be excited about for a team that maybe four weeks ago kind of looked hopeless. How about you, Nathan? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the team is going to be fun. I don't know that they're going to be good yet. Um, we spent the first two weeks of the preseason. Everyone's like, hey, it's preseason. And then they come out and they play well against the Vikings for a half. And suddenly everyone's like, ah, Super Bowl. They're going to the playoffs. Uh, I don't know anybody specifically that was saying that, but certain people on Twitter were saying such things. Uh, so, I mean, but I, I don't think there's any question that this offense is going to be interesting. Like, Chris Carson is going to be fun, and Russell Wilson is good, and, you know, the offensive line is showing signs of life. I think that's a common thing in the preseason, but, like, it'll be interesting to watch. Um, they've got some depth at receiver, and somebody there should be, come out that should be interesting, and the defense is... You know, you still got Frank and you got Rasheem and you've got uh, Shaquem and hopefully you still have KJ in the mix and he's healthy and all that. But there's just a lot of interesting players and I don't know how it's all going to come together and I don't know if it's going to get derailed by injury. But you could definitely see where, you know, this is a team that's not going to be a four-win team. They're not going to pick first overall in the draft. Um, they can hang with the talented team. Um, and yeah, it's, I don't know, it, it was probably the most fun I've had watching a preseason game uh, in a while, maybe since that last Chargers game last year when they blew him out. Evan, did you get a chance to watch this game on uh, Rewind at least? I did. Ladies and gentlemen, days of a shitty Seahawks offense are over. Our long national nightmare is over. Tom Cable is gone. Daryl Bevel is gone. The Seahawks are going to be very good in 2018. They are going to be more than fun. 
They're going to be very good. They're going to score a shit ton of points, and they're going to win a shit ton of games. I'm here to tell you right now that this team is going to be way more than fun. This this is going to be the year of shootouts. Now, I'm not I'm not entirely convinced that the defense is going to be good this year. Um, I think they're going to have a lot of frustratingly uh, inconsistent performances, to be quite honest. Uh, I, they... I completely agree with Jeff. I was like really shocked with how aggressive they looked. It was almost like a former Legion of Boom look to them. They were just they're flying everywhere in the words of Pete Carroll. Um, so the, the, it was kind of encouraging to see from the defense. Um, but the main takeaway is the offense. I they're going to be so much fun this year. I, I think we finally have accountability in the offense. And <laughs> I, I had to interject that there. Um, but no, I, I think there's some tangible takeaways. I think I think Russell Wilson's footwork looks looked better. I think we saw him, you know, stepping up in the pocket more frequently. Um, God, the offensive line looks good. Jermaine Ifedi looked good. I mean, <laughs> what the hell? We're talking about shipping Ifedi. He looked good, but you know, I mean, it was one game. I've been trying to figure out how to uh, what the dialectic uh, for I. How do you, how do you spell I? Um, so oh. I can help you with that yeah, pronunciation. Hey, Evan, what kind of people come from Italy? <laughs> oh, no. Like, if I was from Italy, I would say I was an... Or, like, sometimes, you know, you can put, like, there's different types of, like, dressing you can put on a salad. Like, there's French dressing or ranch dressing. And there's a type of dressing that, like, it's like a vinaigrette kind of comes from Italy. What's it called? Italian. Okay. Wow. I didn't think that's where that was going to go. <laughs> I appreciate the cultural sensitivity you just displayed there, Evan. I that tried really hard there. I tried really hard. Uh, no, Ifedi uh, gets his name <laughs> pronounced correctly when he puts two solid games straight together. That's when it changes. This All is right. a this is a reward based system. I see. I see. It's a meritocracy. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's interesting. <laughs> I think you guys all you hit on a lot of the, the top takeaways for me. I think high level um, line of scrimmage. Uh, so many games in the NFL are won or lost, you know, in how the teams play on both sides of the ball. And that was the biggest thing for me for the first time in the preseason, for sure. And really, I would argue since the first time since maybe early in 2017, the Seahawks defensive line were actually stopping ball carriers at the line of scrimmage or a yard pass, sometimes making contact before, um, you know, the, the Vikings were just hammering and hammering and hammering away with Latavius Murray and they were not making any progress. I believe the longest run from scrimmage uh, when the starters were in there on defense was like five yards. Like the longest run for the game for the Vikings was eight yards. And that was not until the fourth quarter. So um, that's really impressive in terms of them kind of, having the physical nature that, you know, they gave up 176 yards rushing to the Chargers, I believe, just a week ago. So that's a big change, and it was good to see. Um, I think that on offense, we talked about the offensive line, and uh, I tweeted out some stats about this, but, like, the Vikings' defense had their worst rating from pro football focus in this game out of their three preseason games. They're – their pass rush had its worst game by far relative to their other games. Their 
run defense had its worst game relative to the other games. And they played like Jacksonville last week. And that could mean that they just played poorly. That's one possible interpretation of that. It could mean PFF is crap and they don't know what they're talking about. That's another possibility. But there's another, what matched my eyes was that the Seahawks offensive line actually really outplayed them. Um, and how often have we ever said that in the last three years? I mean, in any game, preseason or otherwise, for even a quarter. So um, that was really encouraging. And then I don't know if any, I can't remember if any of you guys mentioned, but Chris Carson, like that guy's, that guy's the real deal. Um, the move he made on, I think it was Eric Kendricks uh, along the boundary um, on the, the swing pass, like, Sign me up for like 50 of those this season. Swing the ball out to him one-on-one -on -one with a linebacker and let's see who wins that battle. Like I, I'll take Carson every day. So um, I thought that was really encouraging. I, I still think that the secondary is a real question mark. I thought Dante Johnson wasn't challenged but seemed to not get into trouble, which is good. Um, uh, the safeties, who knows if Tedrick Thompson, how hurt he is. Um but, you know, you end up with Maurice Alexander and Delano Hill, and that's how thin they are at safety. Like, um, so anyway, we'll, we'll kind of see how that plays out. But, but uh, that remains the big concern there. And pass rush, on the flip side of what I said on the PFF scores, um, the Vikings had their best pass blocking grade of any of their games. And what does that mean from my perspective? The X pass rush is... Still not a strength of this team. It's it's a challenge, and uh, we didn't. Rasheem Green did not dominate that game from a pass rush perspective. Um, he had some good run defense, but uh, his pass rush was not did not stand out the same way it had. So, a um, little bit of a dulling of the the glow um, that we we had had about Rasheem Green after the from a pass rush perspective after the first couple of games. Let's talk about receivers for a second and, and related to that game. We saw Brandon Marshall have a few catches, right? Um, we saw even Keenan Reynolds um, have a few catches early, some third down conversions. Today we hear that Doug Baldwin has been back practicing and from his own mouth um, saying that he does not expect to be 100% all year long. Uh, so let's go round table about what that means. Um, what do you think that means? And what do you expect from Doug? And, and also what are the implications from a roster construction perspective? Who does that help? Who does that potentially hurt? How would you, how would that affect your, uh, did you hear me, Jeff? Oh, okay. Sorry. I lost you for a second. Um, I think it helps a couple people. I think number one, I think Brandon Marshall is definitely making this team. I think if if Baldwin is banged up, I think they want some sort of veteran presence in the group. And the fact that he started to show up last week was good, especially against a guy like Xavier Rhodes. So I think it helps him, especially if they're going to need guys to play more on the outside, if Lockett has to move inside to help with the Baldwin. And I think for that final spot, Keenan Reynolds is a guy that might get boosted up a little bit. And when you saw him on those third downs early in the game, he kind of looked like Doug the way he ran those routes. And I know Brian had mentioned that earlier when he was talking in his uh, training camp articles on his website. And there were plays where 85 just looked like 89 in like that 2011 year. Well, he was wearing 15 back then. But I think that that's the guys. I, I'm Overall, I'm just tired of seeing Amara Darbo name on people's final 53 rosters. <laughs> Ray Henderson had him on today over Marshall, over Marcus Johnson. 
I just we he hasn't done anything in two years. If the, I don't I don't want to see him on the team. Like I'm tired of reading that. I hope it helps. I, as much as it sucks to have the injury, I hope it helps them convince themselves to keep Moore and Johnson both. Um, they've kept five the last few years, and so that that would probably be. Baldwin, Lockett, Brown, Marshall, um, and then one of Moore, Johnson, maybe Marshall's a guy on the outside uh, there. You know, we've seen him make one play so far. <laughs> but they talk about him and they seem to like him. So, um, and it was a great play. Like, not to take anything away from it. Um, but so, if Doug's going to be banged up, if Doug's not going to be quite right, if Doug has maybe some chance of re-injury then hopefully they kind of lean towards keeping, you know, both of those guys who've looked really good. Um, Johnson also plays teams. Um, David Moore, I don't think he's really been known that for that, but then he housed that punt. Um, it came back, but he still looked, he looks like athletically, he looks completely different than like everyone else in the field. He's yep. he, like offense, defense, right. both teams. He, he looks like, a really special guy. So if he gets cut, which I think is a possibility still at this point, like they have some weird stuff on the, on the roster due to injuries. So um, that'd be really disappointing. So hopefully the silver lining to the, the Doug injury is that they keep both those guys. Yeah. So Evan, um, you know, Baldwin's had a knee injury. Um, he's said that, it, he, you know, he's not going to be hundred percent. We know that Doug Baldwin you know, he's not beating people with pure speed. He's a quickness guy. He's a guy that's beating people off the press and, um, you know, on his release with quickness and with lateral agility and beating guys in and out of breaks, which is heavy, you know, uh, leverage on that knee. So it doesn't seem like to me, if you're constructing a roster, you can count on Doug Baldwin being available all year um, and certainly not being, you know, the same productive player he's been for the his whole career. So what do you do about that? Um, who do you make sure you keep around in order to, to maybe mitigate that risk? I guess let, let me start off by asking a question and maybe this will shock some people, but like the mystery around this whole injury is really concerning to me. And just the fuzziness with their willingness to share details or any sort of remote details at all. Um, if, if Doug is like a core contributor to this team and he's a foundational player, why don't you just shut him down for the year? I, I mean, if, if this is an injury that... This is a Super Bowl team, Evan. You can't just shut down a key guy like Doug when you're in your Super Bowl window. <laughs> I will retort later. <laughs> I, I, I just, it's like, I, I guess my concern is like re-injury. Like, could this get worse? I guess we don't really know because we don't really have details. Um, my concern is it just could get way worse in a game and, and this could cause issues into next year. Um, like I said, we don't really know what it is. So it, it concerns me that he's going to be playing all year at like 80, 85%. Um, I, I, I just almost wish we could give that roster spot just to, just to somebody else. Um, but I absolutely, I think this increases Keenan Reynolds shots at the roster, um, DJ Moore better. I said it right. It's DJ Moore, right? It's not David Moore. Moore. God damn it. 
They're the same, <laughs> they're the same player in my mind for some reason. Um, the, David Moore better make this roster. If he doesn't make this roster, I'm going to have a total fit. Um, but, you know, I, I think uh, I, I have major concerns about it. I really do. I, he's a core player that I hope is around for a few more years. And it, it just it just makes me nervous with how hesitant they have been to share, like, any sort of remote details. <laughs> Maybe it's just because I've traveled a lot, but I, I'm really enjoying watching Evan try to form thoughts uh, through his jet lag from from a <laughs> trip. Like I could just see him fighting, string <laughs> words together. Like it's it's super entertaining. Um, yeah, I, I don't know that you can shut Doug Baldwin down. I mean, this is your number one receiver. I think Ben Baldwin. Uh, no relation to Doug, uh, as far as I know. Um, was tweeting out that I think Doug's uh, was it his war? Uh, was that right? Yeah, the highest wins above replacement um, of any non-quarterback in the NFC West. Um, you know, and so this is a it's a super talented guy. He's been a key part of how the Seahawks have have hung around um, on offense, even when they had all their other struggles. So. You know, I don't think Doug Baldwin would shut down anything, even if he was told to. So he's going to play. We're going to find out. But I don't know, for me, if it changes anything. Keenan Reynolds would be the guy that would most stand to gain in my mind. Um, he's a guy that most naturally um, profiles to be a, a slot receiver. But I don't see him making this team. Like, I, I like Keenan Reynolds, but um, am I going to keep him over David Moore? No way. No way. Like, even with this risk. Tyler Lockett's your fallback plan in the slot, and I think he's a perfectly fine fallback plan in the slot. And if he goes to the slot, then you have Jerron Brown and maybe Brandon Marshall on the outside or Jerron Brown and David Moore on the outside. I think those are fine. I also think Marcus Johnson is making this team. I've been saying that pretty consistently, and I know that he's not on everyone's roster, but um, <clears throat> he had a great catch in this last game, which was nice for him to nice to see from him. Um, and is a pretty good special teams player. So I just, I don't see that. I don't see him falling off the roster. Maybe, 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 maybe um, Brandon Marshall is hurt by this news and that they keep someone like Keenan Reynolds as a, as a hedge um, and Brandon Marshall loses out as a result of that. But that's as far as I can see it going. And, and that seems unlikely. I, I feel like I'm a little bit alone on the island here, but I think Brandon Marshall is going to be a good part of this team this year. Like, I know that's like an unpopular opinion, but <laughs> I like what I've seen. I think that he adds something to that receiving core. I think that Russell shows some confidence in him. Um, I like six foot five at receiver, and uh, yeah, I, I'm not afraid to say it. I, I I like Brandon Marshall on this team, so um, we'll see if the Seahawks agree. Uh, in just a couple of days. Um, so Doug Baldwin was not the only injury news. We also heard about KJ Wright um, came out of that game. Had a good game, by the way. It was his best game of the preseason. Um, and I'm wondering if this injury issue is related to his poor play in the first couple of games. But he has an, he had a knee scope, um, minor surgery to kind of check. Usually that's for like floating cartilage and loose bodies, as they call them. Um, no timetable on when he's going to return. Uh, Evan, how do you feel about Shaquem Griffin potentially starting in that first game? And, and yeah, let's start there. 
I'm excited about it. I really do. I, th I think this is a really unique opportunity for Shaquem to really show what he's got. And KJ Wright is in the, in the last year of his deal. Uh, his contract ends after 2018. So if the Seahawks want to extend KJ or are even thinking about it, whatever they want to do on that front, it'll be interesting to, to see what uh, Keem can do in uh, his absence. Um, yeah, it's a unique opportunity. I'm not too worried about it. I really, I, I think Keem has, has has a lot to work on, but but I think he's impressed. And 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 you know, we what I, I guess like we always say, if Keem had the hand, he would have. He if he had two hands, he probably would have gone a lot higher. So um, I'm excited to see what he does in his absence. I'll put out there that I'm I'm concerned about Shaquem Griffin. Uh, getting early playing time. I don't think he's ready to be a star. Um, I think I've heard from inferences from the coaches that they've been a little hesitant to say it, but I don't think they yet have confidence in him. I think Pete's comment when asked if uh, Shaquem Griffin was, you know, going to be ready, uh, his comment was he's going to have to be, um, which is not exactly the biggest vote of confidence from positive Pete. So. Jeff, where are you on this? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with you on there. I'm a little nervous that he's going to be forced into action because right now on defense, they just need stable players. Because if you look at the defensive line, the pass rush, you mentioned the secondary. And yeah, Griffin offers great speed and flashing ability, but he, I don't know if he's going to be the most assignment correct. And they really need guys like that right now. They have a lot of athleticism. Mingos look pretty good. But, yeah, I'd rather see Shaq kind of learn behind KJ for the year and kind of get eased into action. But I guess when KJ got his first start, it was as a result of an injury, and maybe we didn't think he was ready back then. I guess maybe the best way for Shaquille to learn, Shaquem to learn, is to play. But, yeah, a defense that just has so many question marks, having another one, Brings me a lot of concern, especially when you're getting at KJ, who's probably the most stable guy, other than Bobby. You probably have on this defense right now. I don't know. Uh, I'm excited to see Shaquem for like a lot of different reasons. Um, I'm not real optimistic about it, uh, but it'll be really interesting to see them go from KJ, who is you know. Mr. Cerebral and always in the right place and, you know, sniffing out screens and all that stuff. Um, but it, it, I mean, he's a guy that not super athletic. It felt like at times there've, uh, he's been a little picked on that, that his lack of athleticism can be exploited a little. Um, so it'll be interesting to kind of go to a complete opposite of that, you know, going to a rookie, um, not to bash on Shaquem's like football IQ or anything like that, but he's probably not KJ yet. Um, but, you know, he is super fast. And so is there, there, there will almost, it'll almost certainly be a downgrade. Um, but there's kind of a trade-off there where maybe there's some stuff that Shaquem can do that KJ couldn't, where you can kind of make up a little bit more ground than you might think. So uh, if nothing else, it'll just be interesting to see, you know, how, I've been suspicious that KJ's speed is an issue. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how much, you know, plugging in a rookie who can run lights out, how much does that how much does that count for? How much does that cover for? Um, can he kind of approximate KJ's play even without all of KJ's knowledge and instinct? 
Yeah, and one thing we talked about last week was, and I think maybe ahead of the curve a little bit is um, related to this, who's going to be creating turnovers? Uh, and, you know, speed generally is a big part of how turnovers get created. And, you know, maybe Shaquem can be part of that. And certainly in practice, he's been one of the guys that has created, he's forced fumbles, he's intercepted passes. Maybe he's he adds something um, there. KJ, for all his greatness, um, he has not been someone who's really been a, he hasn't made a lot of impact plays in terms of, um, you know, turnovers, sacks, that kind of thing. Um, he's just essentially really sound in what he does and his responsibilities and, and um, a really certain, you know, sure tackler. You know, I don't know. Can you guys remember, have the Seahawks had any takeaways this preseason? Like even one? I want to say no. I can't think of any. I don't think they have. Did Coleman get a pick? Oh, wait. First game, they had a touchdown off of a Mark Lewinsky snap over the head yeah, of the well, All right. Yeah, <laughs> Did that even count as a turnover? Or... Yeah, that's a fumble. No credit that, right? It's like an aborted snap or something. Yeah. So didn't didn't Coleman have a pick, or did he he just almost had one in that first uh, game, right? Because they showed one. the highlights of him. Yeah. Coleman's a guy that will. I mean, he might be the guy that leads the team in turnovers. Uh, yeah. He showed that last year. I mean, his his ability to kind of break on those balls is pretty good. So, and you know, hey, we haven't seen Tedrick, you know, for a full game when they're game planning. <laughs> I mean, if you're talking about turnovers, he better get some. That's what he's supposed to do, right? So I, I, know. I don't know. I don't know. He I hasn't know. shown it. I think that's a real issue. And, uh, you know, the way turnovers are generally created is, you know, speed on the back end, speed on the front end, pressure on the passer, forcing bad decisions, um, you know, hits coming where running backs are not expecting them to come from. You know, like, uh, I don't know where that's going to come from right now. Um, so it was interesting to see that, uh, I don't know if you guys noticed it, but it was talked about a little bit that the Seahawks looked like they were blitzing more often in that Minnesota game. And I'm curious if that's going to be, Ken Norton was actually on the air. I can't remember who he was being interviewed by today, but I heard him say that he does believe in, um, pressure and that, and that that helps get the players into the game sooner and that he loved it when he played and, um, he wants to pass that on. So I, Blitzes and pressure can create turnovers, but they also can lead to um, stress on the defense and big plays. So, you know, uh, Nathan, are, are you hoping to see um, uh, heavier blitz uh, packages from the Seahawks or, or no? No, not really. I mean, today's NFL, the quick passing quarterbacks are too good. You know, you get picked apart. I think that was a problem with the team the last few years is that they we're trying to blitz more and I don't feel like Chris Richard had a great feel for those calls and they would, you know, send, you know, six guys and they would blitz in weird situations. So maybe Norton will have a better feel for it. Maybe they'll do some creative stuff, but where they're not sending a lot, you know, the corner blitzes have been pretty good for them. So maybe that's something that they can take advantage of, but overall, I, I don't think blitzing is an effective strategy. I think it, it, it does more to open up holes for the quarterback to pass into than it does to actually get, um, you know, a guy to the quarterback quicker. 
Jeff, were you a Seahawks fan back when uh, Dennis Erickson was coach and uh, Jim Johnson was defensive coordinator? Actually, he was the linebackers coach. It was before he became a defensive coordinator. And they had Chad yeah. Brown and all those guys blitzing like all over the place. You remember that? That I think it was like 98 maybe or 97. It was in that range. Yeah, I was a fan back then. So Jim Johnson's famous for the – well, in Philly, the late Jim Johnson. But that's what his defenses were all about. Eagles fans still swear by that guy. Yeah, I mean, it was it was incredibly entertaining. Those Seahawks defenses were – they were amazing in a totally different way than the, the most recent Seahawks defenses were. And they showed you can be effective. I mean, that, that, those teams had people like Sean Springs and other guys on the back end that could make plays in the secondary. So I, I've seen blitzing defenses be effective. Um, what's your take on whether this defense can be, you know, should be utilizing blitzes to, to create more pressure and maybe more turnovers? It's tricky because it, it just it leaves a lot of potential for ex- them being exposed. And when they run this cover three scheme, you really got to be like most teams couldn't run the cover three scheme and just have have the kind of success Seattle has. They had that talent throughout their t- entire defense. And once teams kind of figured out how to attack Seattle, now that they don't have this talent, they're vulnerable to start with. The blitzing makes them more vulnerable. That's what scares me about it. But at the same time, I just don't see how they're going to generate consistent pressure. And so I'm, I'm kind of mixed here because I think they just have to time it better. I think Nathan hit on that perfectly. I think with a lot of Chris Richard's blitzes, I know Chris Richard came from the secondary and he saw they weren't blitzing enough. They were running just pure cover three most times, and that's what he tried to fit. But it didn't seem to work very well. And unless Norton can really have maybe time it better or maybe utilize Shaq Griffin or Mingo or different personnel, yeah, maybe that works. But they're already exposed enough to begin with. I think the idea of exposing them more, that, that would scare me. So, Evan... You may not know this, but the defensive rookie of the year is actually on the Seahawks. Um, do you do you know who that is? Defensive rookie of the year. Yeah, future Hall of Famer. No, I no idea. I don't think Michael Dixon counts as a defensive <laughs> player. Hey, look, PFF quoted tweeted out today the top you know rookie ratings for all the players on defense and. Michael Dixon was a defensive player by by their estimation, and so I want to say he's going to to win Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, his his coach at Texas A and M was quoted as saying that it made sense for a team to trade up. This is on draft day. It made sense for the, for a team to trade up for for Dixon because he's going to become your best defensive player. Um, I, I have to know, Nathan. How what you've seen from Michael Dixon? I know that you were really down on drafting a punter and the value of that pick, but like, come on, man! Like, can I say something real quick on that? The, the negativity around that fifth round pick is bullshit. And let me tell you, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Because fifth round picks completely collapse and fail all the time, all the time. So if you're gonna if you're gonna select the best punter in college football history, and he ends up being good. Are you, you're, t- you're trying to tell me that fifth-round pick wasn't worth it? Really? Yeah, yeah it was. Uh, punters go in the fifth round, though? Like, punters go in the fifth round pretty regularly. 
Yeah, but they shouldn't. Like, <laughs> okay, okay. No, 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 no. If no, if he's the best punter in college football history, they should. They should with the fifth round pick. But there's the, this isn't the first time. Like before Michael Dixon, there was some other best punter in college football history, and he probably uh, wasn't any good. There have been kickers that have gone in the first and second round. Like, yeah, everybody, every team when they do this thinks. We just went out and got the next guy. He's going to revolutionize the sport. He kicks a ball that does things that you've never seen. And, you know, most of these guys turn out just like every other punter or kicker. And so, yes, we can look at this in hindsight and say Michael Dixon is probably going to be what they thought he was going to be. Uh, but don't do that. Like the kicker, the the kicker for the Vikings, wasn't he taking like 10 picks or something like that after Michael Dixon? I bet the Vikings felt great about, they're like, yeah, a fifth round picks a little high for a kicker, but you don't know about this guy. You don't know about Carl. And he misses two kicks. And you know, I mean like this, it, it's, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's hubris is what it is to go and, and, you know, trade up for one. It's, it was silly. It's, it looks like it's going to work out. He's, he's going to be good. He's going to be valuable, but uh, I would not let this, you know, it's, it's kind of the same thing as drafting a run back in the first round. Like you got Adrian Peterson, great job. You got uh, many other first round running backs, you know, not as great. Like, it, and so you can talk about the Dixon legacy. This is so disrespectful. I mean, Chris Carson is a seventh round pick. You can talk about how these things, David Moore is a seventh round pick. You can talk about how these things aren't important, but these picks, you know, you can get good players down there. Try to get good players that matter as opposed to a punter when, you know, most of them are all the same. And Dixon is not. And the great Dixon, news they got, they, they did, they hit on one. He's going to be, he is going to be the best punter in the NFL. He's going to be possibly, probably an all pro player as a rookie uh, in the fifth round. He's probably going to end up being a Hall of Fame player. I'm saying all of those things. I believe those all to be probable at this point. That's what I believe about Michael Dixon. And the good news for you, Nathan, is that you don't have to see them draft a punter um you know for probably the next 15 years like dixon is here to stay and they don't have to spend that they, and they've also got a first round pick uh kicker too so clearly they're going for you know the highest what they get him for <laughs> <laughs> well they got him for you know stuffing helmets um, let somebody else take these kickers in the first round and then you wait 20 years and then you sign them for nothing it's that simple <laughs> may I share a confession what's that may i share a confession yeah go for it i don't think did you like the punter pick when it happened no this is this isn't regarding the punter oh, pick. Okay. i'm 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 a little worried i got the wrong rookie jersey oh <laughs> yes I'm worried. I, I'm actually worried. I I got the wrong running back jersey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of worried. I'm not gonna lie. I'm kind of worried. Uh, I <laughs> think that's fair. Crazy. But but Chris wanna... looks so good. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's a completely different topic. I don't want to. I don't want to bury bury uh, Penny. Yeah, I think he showed some stuff that looked good. Uh, but. He may never see the light of day if Chris Carson's going to play the way Chris Carson's playing. That's played. the problem. <laughs> That's the problem. Chris Carson looks so good. 
Of all the rookies, you probably chose the worst one. <sighs> yeah, uh, the, the entire rookie roster, the like the entire rookie class is probably going to make the roster. Uh, we didn't even talk about Mr. Magoo, who yeah. uh, had another. See, you can't game. just talk about these late picks being nothing. They can be Alex Magoo's. <laughs> um, yeah, the the I tweeted out about that I think last week, but uh, you know, last year that David Moore and Chris Carson seventh round for John Schneider, that could be the next John Schneider mic drop. Like, um, I was I think, John Schneider was on the hot seat though, Brian. <laughs> he uh, absolutely was on the hot seat. Again? Yeah, yeah. Do you think I, he's on, Do you think he's not on the hot seat? Hell no, he's not on the hot seat. John Schneider. If they win seven <laughs> games this year. Well, uh, did you see the draft last year? Shaq. I'm just saying, if they win seven games this year. Oh, stop it. Seven games. Oh, okay. That's okay. The, the, the floor is like nine this year. Maybe. The floor. Come on. <laughs> Come on, dude. <laughs> the floor is nine. Wow. Eight or nine. Eight or nine. This is what I'm talking about. They, they, they scored 13 points and a half. <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly this 2017 draft is the the next it's you know the next 2012 draft and stuff like that <laughs> yeah I, this is still the dude that kept eddie lacy thomas rawls and trey madden over alex collins like you know but they he, also gotta, they gotta perform. he also swindled the greatest gm slash coach in nfl history bb he swindled them that you know, that's interesting. Coleman bounced back and forth between both those teams for a while. Like totally two good teams had a feeling about this guy, and Seattle was the one that ended up, you know, at the right at the right time with it. Well, someone, someone told me this too. The Patriots probably would have won the Super Bowl if they kept Justin Coleman, Ooh. or if they just played uh, Malcolm Butler. Yeah, yeah, well, like they were, they, their third corner or fourth corner of that game was just getting picked on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I. Uh, uh, I do have to ask about Deion Jordan because we did get a little bit of engineering news there. And you were talking about, you know, Justin Coleman and every, every coach thinks that they're going to be the guy that, that gets something out of him um, that they didn't get before. So the two guys come out for, for me in that regard. One, we didn't talk about Barkevius Mingo. Um, six overall pick by Cleveland a few years ago. Bounced around the league, including with Mr. Belichick. I thought he looked really good in that Minnesota game. He was one of the guys that stood out to me as a real athlete on the field. Um, minus, uh, minus what CJ Ham did to him. <laughs> well, CJ Ham had a moment where he looked like uh, like Emmett Smith and Barry Sanders combined. He demolished Mingo and then broke both of KJ's. Is that when the injury happened? When CJ Ham juked KJ out of his shoes? Is that what oh, happened? I hope not. <laughs> not. Yeah, he looks pretty good though. Um, but you know, I, I thought Mingo looked good. I, I thought that um, I, I'm interested in you know Deion Jordan's guy that absolutely bounced around with or didn't get anything going with with Miami, and then looks like he could be a player for for Seattle. So one, um, any comments on Mingo other than the Nathan's uh, negative Nancys? He looks good. He's fine. <laughs> It's, it's nice to have someone that's not Michael Wilhoy as starting line. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Well, and so, you know, talking about Blitzy more too, like, I don't know if they're, they might be, this might be the team that's best equipped to Blitz uh, of recent teams. Like, 
Mingo can get after the quarterback. Uh, Shaquem showed the ability to get after the quarterback in college. Um, they've got Martin, who's really more of a defensive end, but you know they're they're playing him at Sam. Um, and then with the corner blitzes and stuff, they have some talent in the linebacker you know spot that can that can pass rush a bit and not just come clean, but can actually you know maybe work through a, through a guy. So yeah, and and Evan, I mean. There, there's a decision they say that's coming on Deion Jordan, and I think that decision is whether he's going to stay on the pup list, uh, physically unable to perform and be out for six weeks or not. We talked about this a little bit last week, but um, you know, it, it's they say he's making progress. He wants to get back as soon as next week. Um, you know, do you, you? Nathan famously said last week, "I will never bet on Deion Jordan's health," but. Uh, you know, do you, do you think they're going to roll the dice and and try to keep him on the active roster and and cut one of these young guys to to make room for Deion Jordan? Yeah, absolutely. I re- I think that's absolutely what they're going to do. Um, I think what we saw in some limited you know blips from him in 2017, I'll never forget that bull rush in Arizona. That was absolutely crazy. Um, I I think if he if he can be healthy, maybe maybe there's some you know resurrection potential there and. If if it's there and if it and if he balls out and he shows up, you know, whew, that'd be a good thing for the group. So I, I do think they will absolutely keep him on the roster. So Jeff, I got another couple for you. Um, one, two, oh, two guys. Uh, do either of them make? Do either of them get cut from the roster? Ed Dixon and Byron Maxwell. Ed Dixon, I'd say definitely not. You can put him on PUP, or you can leave him on PUP for six games. I don't see why he would get cut. The team invested pretty heavily in him, and while Will Disley and Vanette have looked functional, I think you want to see what Dixon can do. So I, I, I just don't see the point of cutting him, although maybe that would help with a comp pick formula. Maxwell, there's a possibility. Although Dante Johnson looks fine, Flowers doesn't look ready, I'd probably keep him for depth purposes, but if he can't stay on the field and he's 30 years old or 31 years old, and maybe you want to keep a young guy, but probably the Maxwells, I don't see who you're keeping him for. Nico Thorpe's been hurt. Nathan has chronicled Akeem King being terrible. Um, so I don't know who the guy is you're cutting him for, but from a competition standpoint, I don't see what he's done other than previous performance that has really earned him a spot. So I'm going to say they're not going to cut him either. Anyone else uh, have strong opinions on Mr. Maxwell? No, I think, I, I mean, I think just right. Like, who are you cutting him for? I mean, maybe it's Nico Thorpe, but I feel like Nico is probably pretty safe because I think they're going to end up carrying fewer safeties than they usually do. I don't think that there's a fifth safety that they have to keep. So I don't really see it. I mean, it may be one where he kind of ends up at the very bottom of the, the roster. And then maybe he's, maybe they're kind of looking at him and saying, well, do we really want to keep him and cut Puna? But, you know, I mean, those are completely different positions. So they probably don't really come into competition with each other too much. So. Okay. So final, final topic before we wrap up for the evening, um, uh, give you some time to think about it. Um, what, what are your top, you know, 
battles that you're looking at um, uh, going into the game on Thursday night, uh, final preseason game against the Raiders, uh, right? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, who are you going to be watching knowing that the starters pretty much are, you know, going to not play very much? Um, you know, give me a, give me a couple guys that are top of your list. Uh, and let's, let's take the tack of who are you hoping really balls out and, and earns a roster spot, you know, cements a roster spot, you know, give me a, give me a name or two. And, uh, Jeff, why don't we start with you? Nathan just mentioned him and you can't go on Twitter for Seahawks Twitter for five minutes without hearing Puna. I think he's got to be on the team and everyone's trying to construct the roster and figure out the defensive line. I don't know if that's cutting one of the signings or Brandon Jackson looked pretty good. I wasn't very fond of him going into the last game and Shamar Stefan has been just a guy. He's fine. But for me, a young player like this, he doesn't fit Pete's profile typically, but I, I, I just, there's a lot of film that stood out and I thought he was a great player in college and for me, I'm, I'm, he's going to get a, probably a lot of action this week, and I'm going to watch him because I want to see if he's going to continue to push for a spot. And I, I think he should be a lock for this roster right now based on the need they have for young defensive linemen that can flash. But outside of Puna, I think the next guy for me would be probably Austin Calitro. He's a bubble guy right now. I didn't have him on my radar at all for the roster for most of the preseason. You're starting to see people put him on. I don't know if DJ Alexander's shown anything, so I want to see him step up and kind of gain some momentum from that last week because he's one of the few guys that looked pretty good against the twos. How about you, Evan? I would love to see – I know everybody's assuming Magoo is the backup quarterback, but I would love to see a strong performance from him preseason game for to really um knock out uh Austin Davis. You will, Evan. The goo. You will. By yeah. the way, I just realized something. I had an epiphany and this is the analysis that you come for on this podcast. So the Seahawks traded for Dwayne Brown after they played the Texans. The Seahawks play the Raiders this week. Guess who they're gonna trade for after they play the Raiders this week? Donald Penn? <laughs> Marshawn Lynch? <laughs> <laughs> is it Derek Carr? <laughs> Marshawn Lynch? Well, we all know we don't have a franchise quarterback. When you think about it, actually, the, the Raiders paid $5 million for every yard per attempt that Derek Carr averages. I, I want to know who we're trading for, though. I'm still not clear. <laughs> is it Donald Penn? <laughs> I wanted him years ago. I wanted him when Bradley Sowell was tormenting us. <laughs> I wanted him. Just to be very clear about that. The tweet receipts are there. Um, what were we talking about? Who oh, are they trading for? Khalil Mack. Oh, Khalil Mack. Yeah. Oh. You may have heard of him. May all have right, heard of yeah. Him. I, yeah. All right. Full all right. circle. The <laughs> <laughs> goo would be awesome to see. Uh, I want to see CJ Proceis. I want to see CJ Proceis. I haven't seen anything from him. Who is CJ Proceis? Is he even a Seahawks player right now? I don't even know who he is. Never heard of him. Dude, he's no been fine. He's would love, been would fine. love to see him. Would love to see him play. Um, yeah, those are the, those are the two guys I'm watching. For the record, as far as I know, CJ Proceis is, has been in every single practice other than two and has missed one game. I think there's a lot of CX players that have uh, missed more time than he has. 
He only missed one? I thought he missed two. Nope, he missed the first missed game. One. He's played in the other two. Has he made any big plays in preseason? Well, dep- depends on your definition of big, but no, I wouldn't say anything 10-plus yards. He's getting the weird treatment right now. He's getting the, he's you're the, the doghouse treatment. Yeah, he is getting the doghouse treatment, and I think they're just testing him out. Uh, so, uh, I mean, for me, it's Trey Flowers and Dante Johnson. I don't really have a preference between the two. I don't think either one has stood out, so it would be great to see one of them really kind of show that they – deserve that starting job. I don't think either one really has. Um, so I think that's a big one to watch. Um, Puna, I think um, I think he's on the roster right now. It gets dicey if they decide to bring Jordan off the pup, but um, another good performance from him to kind of solidify where he is. Um, I mean, it's all the same stuff. And Fetty, right? Um, what, what goes on there? Um, we do this with Jermaine a lot where we rag on him and he has a, he has a terrible game and we rag on him and then he comes out and he looks okay the next week. And it's like, Oh, he figured it out. Uh, his job is safe. And then, you know, he turns around and he goes right back to being a Fetty. So, uh, I, be interesting to see how he does, you know, back to back games. Maybe his um, Jekyll and Hyde is like, I Fetty and if Fetty <laughs> don't know which one's going to show up. I think we normally get I Fetty. Uh, <laughs> I'm excited to see Alex Magoo. He's really good. Uh, oh, really good? Really That's, good. Going to go with really as wow. your adjective. I'm upgrading to really good. Like the dude's not going to step in and win you ten games or anything this year. But his arm is legit. His uh, athleticism is legit. And he's out there, you know, managing the game well enough. He's got some happy feet. He's made some bad decisions. I was really terrified he wasn't going to actually throw the ball on that last play. Uh, but he worked <laughs> through it. Uh, honestly, like, you want to talk about all the late-round guys that Schneider's found? I think Magoo has a chance to be one of them. And who knows how long it'll be until we're, we know for sure. Hopefully, Russell stays healthy and we don't see him again until for another year, but I think Magoo looked really impressive um, from both just performance-wise and also traits. Yeah, I think we've finally found a player that Nathan is significantly more excited about than I am. I, I don't think that's, I don't think that that's been the case or that any of us are more, that he's excited about more than any of us. Uh, Why do you not have a Magoo jersey? Yeah, where's your jersey, dude? I should get a Magoo, I should. It's a great I mean, idea, seriously, you should. I, I, look, misery loves company. I'm not going to sit here and I don't want to cry about our jerseys together. All right. <laughs> I would love to see you guys walking arm in arm down the street with Magoo and Kenny jerseys. And look, in five years, that's going to be the Seahawks uh, quarterback, running back, battery <laughs> team of the future. You know, I I don't want to rain on your parade with Magoo. I, I think he he's actually shown a lot. I I really hope he's the one that wins that backup. Uh, quarterback spot if it's someone who's on the roster now as opposed to someone who who is not but um i don't i don't think the seahawks win one game with him as quarterback let alone 10 um i don't think he's that good but um i i'm i'm happy that you're happy so that that's that's a good thing <laughs> um <laughs> what do you want to see from the guy he's all he does is go out there and make plays that's the kindest way of putting things i'm happy that you're happy brian <laughs> <laughs> he went out there and he put he broke that uh linebacker's ankles twice he put him in the spin machine um 
Honestly, his like, code word for your player is shit. That's no, <laughs> not quite that bad. But I mean, he he looks like a rookie quarterback. He does not know which way is up. I don't think he. Could, I'd be surprised if he could make like five he, you know legitimate what? play calls in a row. He might not know which way is up, but he is talented enough that he is still out there and making plays. Like yeah. I don't know. So is Trayvon he, Boykin. No, 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 no. Trayvon Boykin with a different deal. He made some pretty good plays in the preseason. Yeah, a lot of those were not they were not good plays. Magoo is miles ahead of Trayvon Boykin. I think that's probably true. And and I <laughs> I did get a lot of pleasure out of seeing him make that long run and like <laughs> he does not try to be like the leader. Like he doesn't try to like uh, hide his emotions when someone makes a mistake. <laughs> like he had made this like forty yard run. He was so pumped, and then it comes back for a, a illegal block or something like that. And he was just pissed. Did you see him on the sideline after that drive? He was tired. <laughs> I am, I felt that. If somebody makes me run a long ways for no good reason. I'm going to be pissed about it too. <laughs> yeah, it was good. I, I definitely enjoy watching him play. And, uh, you know, David Moore, um, man, that, that touchdown they got, that, I mean, he definitely stands out. So I'm with you. I'm with you on hoping that he plays well. I think Shaquem Griffin's a guy we're all hoping um, looks like he can fill in. Um, it'd be great to see some progress there. George Fant, you know, you mentioned it briefly there, Nathan, but man, huge story going into that game. There's been so much news since we didn't barely talk at all about that. George Fant looked pretty darn good um, at right tackle. And, you know, uh, I think they've got a legitimate alternative to, to Effetti. And we all know Effetti's going to start, but, um, you know, <laughs> if someone came, if Tom Cable decided, forget Khalil Mack, Tom Cable decided he wanted Effetti back on his team and, you know, they give us a anything for him. Um, I wouldn't be upset to have George Fant starting at right tackle. Um, what so, would you trade a Fetty for? The sandwich. So, like, if the if the Raiders oh, offer you a additional, <laughs> listen. I would I would trade Effetti for far less than I would trade Michael Dixon. I'll tell you. Would that you right uh, would you trade Effetti for a conditional seventh? No. Based on based on starts or something. No, like I would not. I Realistically, I would I would expect a fifth round. That would be the the minimum I would take for Effetti. Yeah. What about you, Nathan? I, I I didn't have an answer. I just wanted to know what you guys thought. <laughs> You're such he doesn't a pain. want his take on record. He's he's that was courageous, incredibly courageous. So, um, <laughs> all right. <laughs> so yeah, George Fant's a guy that I'm interested in seeing how he plays, and um, I'm really interested in the the fullback. Um, what is it Daniel Marks? Is that his name? The, the guy they just picked up. Um, <laughs> I hate being a fan of this team. <laughs> I'm excited for our Hall of Fame punter. I can't wait to see our fullback. Our tight end blocks so well. Like, good uh, lord, <laughs> your pain is like is like sweet nectar for me. I really enjoy it. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm really curious because because Trey Madden has not been all that good this preseason and didn't even really play in the last game. Um, I'm curious if Marks does anything that that gives him a chance to earn a roster spot, which. <laughs> 
God, can you imagine going all the way through rookie minicamp, OTAs, training camp, three preseason games, and some guy comes in at the end, plays one game, and steals your spot? Um, it could be a running back he steals a spot it from. Could it could be, be more. Yeah. I mean, like, there's a lot of guys that could, could impact. So uh, I am interested to see how that plays out. Um, all right. Uh, we've been out here for a little while. Uh, talked about a bunch. Um, I'm going to go ahead and wrap on that. Um, we'll be back uh, next week, guys. We'll be talking about the actual roster um, and a real game um, against the Broncos. We'll be prepping for that. So uh, looking forward to talking to you all um, on the Twitters uh, over the next few days. And uh, we'll start pumping out some preview information on, on what we're look, expecting for the, the year. Until then, if you haven't already, please sign up on patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Hawkblogger. Become a Hawkblogger patron. Um, get invited to the private Facebook group where you can talk to all of us whenever you want. And uh, all the proceeds go to Ben's Fund, a uh, great charity. So um, thanks for everybody tuned in tonight. Great show. And uh, we will talk to you soon. Go Hawks.